This morning, I want to start us out by uh, asking you to go back in your memories a little bit. I admit, for some of you, this is a long time in your memory, and for some of you, this is fairly recent. But do you remember what it was like when you used to get a report card that you were supposed to take home and show your parents? Again, I'm not going to ask you how many years that's been, for some of you, since you shared that. But do you remember that feeling? I I realized that they probably don't send home report cards anymore to the kids sitting here. They're probably digital, and they probably don't scale them on an A to F scale. I know for my kids, they get a 1 to 4, and I haven't fully grasped exactly what that means yet, because it doesn't equate to A to F, regardless. For those of you that are old enough to recall what it was like to get a report card, do you remember the feeling of that moment? You're headed out of the classroom to the bus, and the teacher has all the report cards, and he or she begins to hand them out to everyone. It is at that precise moment that we all realize that there are two types of people in the world. They're the type of people that are anxiously sneaking a look just to see how well they've done this last quarter, right? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. Or there's those of us that would prefer not to take a look at the report card. Instead, we hope that the grades magically transform themselves in the envelope before we get home to the dining room table and have to show them to our parents. Regardless of what your reaction is to report cards, And regardless of where you intuitively go, for better or worse, depending on what your intuition is, that's kind of what today is going to be like. That's a little bit of what we're going to look at. Over the last few weeks, we've studied what the church is called to be, what the Bible teaches about the church, and now we're going to take a look at Faith Bible Church. We're going to do a little bit of introspection, a little bit of examination, and see how we're doing. And so in that way, this morning's time is going to be a little bit more like a family meeting than like what you might see for a traditional service here at Faith Bible Church. What you'll notice is that I'm going to put a lot of scripture up on the board, and just for time's sake, we're not going to have the chance to go through all of those texts, but I encourage you to go back, find those slides, read through those texts if you want to examine them further in the time after the service. You can always find all of our slides on our website as well. They're with the Sermons Link. You can download those, and you can reference any of those slides. Obviously, feel free to take pictures of the slides if you want to get the references and want to look at it further as we go forward. But regardless, regardless of this focus, before we endeavor to move in on this, I I do want to ask for the Lord's Prayer in our time together this morning. So would you pray with me? Father, it is a good thing when your people dwell together in unity. Your word teaches that. It's a joy. Lord, we pray that in our time together this morning that that would be exemplified. Lord, that as we sit under your word as we talk about practically what that means for Faith Bible Church and what you have led the elders to direct this church to move toward, that you would be glorified. Lord, we pray that you would be honored, that the focus would be on Christ, the focus would be on what you've called us to be. Lord, I am so humbled by the promise in Matthew 16 that we've already looked at, that Christ will build his church. Lord, we praise you for the fact that you are doing that, even in the remotest parts of the world. That is staggering and that is humbling. And yet we get to be a part of that through prayer. So I pray that we would be engaged in that endeavor. And Lord, as we study your word this morning, I pray that you would be exalted, that the meaning would be clear, that you would guide and direct your church for your glory, not for just our good, but for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Well, and as I mentioned, we've been spending the last few weeks and we've been talking about 
the church. We've been asking a few questions seeking to understand what it is that the Word of God teaches about the church, even where it conflicts with maybe our instincts, intuitions, or past experience with the church. We've asked four questions so far and sought to answer them, and hopefully you felt like we've answered them at least summarily. We asked first, what is the church? What is the universal, invisible church? We said the church is God's adopted household comprised of every redeemed believer. The church is a people. It's not a place. It's not an activity. It's not an event. It is fundamentally a people. Secondly, why then does the church exist? Why did God create this institution? We said the church exists to glorify God by representing Christ on earth, by bringing people into unity under the gospel and collectively pursuing holiness, all by submitting to every command of Christ. That's what the universal church is about, and we're going to see a lot of those things come out in what we want to focus on here at Faith Bible Church as well. From the universal church, then we move to addressing the local church, and we ask, what makes a church? We said a local church is a partnering assembly of believers who pursue the church's mission by faithfully proclaiming Christ and rightly practicing his ordinances. This is what constitutes, this is what creates, this is what forms a church as a people that intend to do these things that God has called his church to do. And then lastly, last week, we took a look at what makes a healthy church. What does it show that a church is successful, that a church is faithful, that a church is healthy? We focused on four relationships. A healthy church is completely devoted to Christ, biblically led by elders, faithfully discipling each other, and relentlessly pursuing the lost. If these four relationships are healthy and thriving, you have a healthy church You have a successful church, even if there's not a big building, even if there's not a lot of money in the bank, and even if the pews or chairs are not always full. That is what faithfulness as a church looks like. This week, just as in previous weeks, I will seek to answer a couple of questions. I will seek to answer first, what does a church do? In light of what we have talked about, what is it that a church is called to pursue? What is it that a church is called to aspire to, to engage in, to work for? And then we're going to address, what does Faith Bible Church do? What should we do? What are we called to do? First, what does a church do? Many theologians have traditionally thought of the activities of a church in terms of three major services or three major ministries of a church. Those ministries can be described as ministry to God, the act of worship, ministry to unbelievers, the act of evangelism, and ministry to believers, the act of discipleship. First, let me describe a little bit briefly what this ministry to God means, this activity of worship, this fundamental aspect that the church is called to be. Now, I have to, I have to start off this conversation by saying what we mean by a ministry is we don't mean that somehow God is lacking in something, and he needs us to fulfill what he is lacking. Instead, it's saying the first and foremost attitude, action, activity of the church ought to be the worship of God, simply because he deserves it simply because Christ deserves to be worshipped. And so when he calls the people together, their first and foremost activity is that of worship. Now what ought to be our attitude in worship? A few of those passages I want to mention briefly. First in John 4, when addressing the Samaritan woman, verses 23 and 24, I'd encourage you to walk or read through that here this afternoon if you get the chance. It's a fascinating, a fascinating dialogue between Jesus and the Samaritan woman where she's talking about where the Samaritans worship, and he's talking about Jerusalem, and he says, but the day is coming when people will worship me, will worship God in spirit and in truth. He talks about this attitude of worship, this attitude of worshiping God out of the faithfulness of the spirit, out of the truth of what God has revealed to him, this 
idea of worshiping God as a first and foremost priority for everyone's lives. We talked a little bit last week about, is your attitude of worship, are you focused on Christ, are you adoring Christ, are you pursuing Christ? The church, collectively, is first and foremost called to worship God. Not to some end, but simply because God deserves to be worshipped. In addition to that, we recognize that God's glory must be paramount. God's glory must be the first question we ask whenever we evaluate any activity the church is seeing to pursue. We read Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, that speaks of how God should be glorified in the church and in Christ Jesus for now and forevermore. I'm not going to have us go back to that text, but we have to remember that God's glory is paramount in everything we do. This must be the first grid we put everything we do through as a church. Is God glorified in it? Is this, can this be done as an act of worship unto the Lord? The first ministry of a church is this ministry to God, this action, this service of worship to Him. But in addition, we can say that secondarily, the church has a ministry to unbelievers. We talked again about this a little bit last week, so I'm not going to go through it in overly critical detail. The task is very clear. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20 says, Go and make disciples. The church is called to have a ministry to those that don't yet know Christ. We talked at length about this last week. So the task is very clear. The bullseye, the objective is extremely clear. And the means is clear as well, is it not? I had no idea that Dave Drevo was going to read my text here this morning. But turn in your Bibles to Romans 10. I want to take a little bit of a look at this text before we move on. Romans chapter 10. And I want to read again that passage that Dave read for us this morning. This is critical for us to understand as far as why the church exists and what we're called to do. Here in Romans 10, Paul is talking about how unbelievers are saved. In chapter 10, verse 10, he says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame and then that in verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's this ministry of proclaiming the gospel to those that don't yet know him. And what is the means that God has given them? What are they called to do to see this accomplished? Look at verse 13, or 14. And how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they here without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. They have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. The task is to make disciples, and the means God has given us is very clear. You send people out to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, to see unbelievers saved. This is the chief ministry that we're called to as a church, to unbelievers to raise people up and to send them out so they can preach the gospel so that people can hear and believe the good news of Jesus. In addition to this ministry to God of worship, every church ought to be engaged in this ministry of evangelism to unbelievers. Both the unbelievers in our backyard and our neighborhoods and the unbelievers in China on the other side of the world were called to have this ministry of evangelism to unbelievers. And if no one shares the gospel with them, how are they to believe? That's the question of Romans chapter 10. That's the means that God has given us to see people come to salvation through Christ. 
So every church ought to be engaged in a ministry to God in worship, in a ministry to unbelievers in evangelism. Lastly, a ministry to believers. We call this discipleship. We call this discipleship. What is described here? What is prescribed by the Word of God to see people raised up and conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? Now, we talked about a whole bunch of different things when we were in the book of 1 Corinthians here in the last year. All sorts of different activities were called to, and Paul was again and again encouraging the church. We talked about spiritual gifts and any number of different things. Historically, when it comes to maturing or discipling believers, the church has referred to what's known as the normal means of grace. Now, I need to qualify that statement and explain a little bit what I mean. Because a Roman Catholic understanding of the means of grace is there are these, these are sacraments, there's these activities that you engage in, and through that, God infuses grace into your life, and that's the way you're saved. It's not what a Protestant means when they say that. That's not what we mean when we say that. We mean there are these God-ordained divine activities that God has called us to engage in for the sake of maturing and, and, and being grown up into the faith. There are activities that God has given us as a blueprint for this is how you grow up. And that way it's kind of like when a personal trainer gives you an eating plan and a workout plan, right? I don't know how many of you have done that. Right? Clearly I have not spent a lot of time with a personal trainer. But I know about this. Theoretically, you hire a personal trainer and they say you work out six times a week or whatever and you eat this food and by the time you're done with this in six months, you're going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? That's what they tell you. I'm not saying that's what actually happens, but that's what they tell you. And if you do the routine they give you, you're going to see results. Most of us cheat, right? We eat things that aren't on the list and we skip workouts and, and so we don't end up looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but it's kind of funny because God in his word has given the church, has given believers the means by which they can be matured and grown up, sanctified into mature believers. Has he not? These are what's been referred to as the normal means of grace. And there's nothing particularly flashy or sexy about these activities. They're just the things God has called us to do. And if you want to grow up, if you want to be mature, you engage in these activities. It's not because you can make yourself mature, but it's because God has said, this is how I mature my people. Let me give you a brief list. I wrestled with whether or not to go into more depth with this, but most of these are not confrontational, so I don't expect you're going to disagree with the vast majority. The teaching of the Word. Engaging with the Word of God is one way we are matured and grown up into Christ. The ordinances of baptism and communion. One activity we engage in to strengthen each other and encourage each other. Prayer for one another. Hopefully that's not too shocking to any of you that praying for one another helps us mature. Worship. We talked about that in Colossians 3, 16. How as we worship God, we are building each other up as well. Church discipline. We've talked about that over the last few weeks. Giving is actually one that the church is a little bit hesitant to talk about, do we not? But one of the ways that God matures his people is as we sacrificially give what we have for the sake of the mission, for the sake of the church. Exercise of spiritual gifts. We talked about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, how every gift is given to build up the body. And each part is necessary. And no part can say to another part, you're not necessary. Fellowship. We talked about that last week. Evangelism. I don't know how many of you have considered the fact that as you share the gospel with an unbeliever, God actually uses that to mature and equip you for ministry and other personal ministry. We could go on and on and on with other activities and things the church should engage in, but these at least should form the backbone of what we call discipleship, the way God uses his church to encourage and build up his church. It's not overly complicated. 
These are the three ministries that every church is called to. Called to a ministry to God of worshiping Him simply because He deserves to be worshipped. A ministry to unbelievers because we want to see more people worshiping God. And a ministry of discipleship to other believers to see them raised up so they can be sent out to reach the lost again. That's what every church is called to. This is how I defined it. I said a church must engage the means God has supplied to declare his worth, to call people to salvation, and to see them conform to the image of Christ. It's amazing how complicated we make this. How complicated churches have made it at times. What the church is called to be. The church is not actually that complicated. The question is whether or not we'll be faithful to what God is calling us to do. It's not that complicated. And in this way, you'll note that this has a striking similarity to these tasks and what Faith Bible Church's purpose statement is. Now, I know some of you are new, so you may not have heard this before, but Faith Bible Church's purpose statement goes like this, reach, mature, equip, glorify. Our task as a church is reaching as many as are called to eternal life, maturing all in Christ, equipping all to serve and many to lead all to the glory of God. You notice how similar that is to these three ministries? Ministry of worship to glorify and worship God, ministry of seeing the lost reached with the gospel, and a ministry of equipping and maturing and growing up and discipling believers. It's not that complicated. And every church articulates it a little bit different. But what you'll notice is the vast majority of faithful churches will have a statement very, very similar to this. And in many ways, it's the call of every local church to engage in these activities for the glory of God. But you'll also note what is not prescribed here. What is not prescribed in the Word is exactly how a church is organized. Right? We have elders and we have deacons and we have the body, but it doesn't exactly tell you how many church staff you should have and what you should call ministries, and how you should organize the ministries. The programs of the church are not called out here. Not defining that you should have a facilities team, and you should have a connections team, and you should have a fit team, and you should have... Which, fit team, that has always driven me crazy. If you're on the fit team, we need to address this. Okay? This is my axe to grind. It's not a real axe. Fit team is first impressions team team. Okay, I'm taking us totally off track at this point, but that has always been something I'm like, fit team, team. Anyway, but my point is, the word does not prescribe how we organize all of these things, what we call all of these things, how often these things need to meet, whether small groups should be there or here or whether or not we have them at all. It doesn't give us the forms, but it does give us the elements that says, focus on these things. Focus on these things wherever I have planted you, be faithful in these tasks. So every church has to kind of work out what this will look like, how this will be pursued within their local culture, within their local assembly, with the gifts and the people God has given them. And it's with that in mind that we come to our final question. Final question for this introduction to our series on the church. And we ask ourselves the question, what should Faith Bible Church do? What are we called to be? What are we called to focus on? I've mentioned a few times over the last few weeks that the elders got together last fall for a retreat. We spent a great deal of time in prayer. We spent a great deal of time in study of God's Word. We spent a great deal of time in discussion saying, what are we good at? What are we not so good at? What is God calling us to be and to do? We took a hard look at Faith Bible Church through the lens of what the Bible has called the church to be. Some things were good. Some things weren't so good. 
But ultimately, we identified four key areas that we believe God is calling Faith Bible Church to pursue. In light of reach, mature, equip, glorify, what are we going to focus on? What are we going to seek to become over the next few years? And as I walk through these, one of the things you'll note is just how ordinary and boring they are. These are going to be very typical, very normal. And yet, what makes a successful church is not its innovation at doing new things. It's its faithfulness in doing the same old things. It's what the church has been doing for 2,000 years. The churches that have gotten into the innovation of new things that have gotten themselves into trouble. It's kind of like, you've probably all heard the story of Vince Lombardi, right? Coming back from a Super Bowl win, getting his team all together and saying, gentlemen, this is a football. They're all professional football players. They know it's a football. But the point is, the fundamentals are what make you successful. It's doing the basic things well that result in success on the field. It's the same for the church. It's not in our innovation that we will be successful or not. It's in our faithfulness to what God has prescribed that we will be successful or not. So what do we seek to become? What is our desire to become at a church? Where do we feel as elders that God is leading Faith Bible Church? There's four things here. First, we desire to become a church that is empowered by prayer. A church that is empowered by prayer. Again, prayer should not be shocking. And I don't expect people are going to rise up out of the chairs and start throwing tomatoes at me by saying our church should focus on prayer. You want to throw that slide up? <laughs> Sorry, Nick. We want to be empowered by prayer. What does this mean? Most of us agree that we should probably be praying, right? Most of us would not argue about that point. I doubt I'm going to have to field very many questions by people in the fellowship hall after the church service saying, I don't think we should pray as a church. But the question is, are we intentionally setting about it? Are we intentionally, dependently praying at all times for the ministry of our church? That's what it means to be empowered by prayer. It means that we lift up in prayer all future direction and places we think we should go as a church. That in the moment we seek present guidance and in the past we look back and ask that God would supply the fruit. In future direction, I love this passage in James chapter 4. I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but it's fascinating. In James 4, James writes to, this, to these, these believers and he says, some of you think that you can just pick where you're going to do in the future. And in your arrogance, you say, I will go and do this next year, or I will go and do that next year. He says, instead, what you ought to say is, if the Lord wills, I will go and do this, or I will go and do that. I don't know what the future holds. Only God does. And it's this reminder that it isn't our task to try and decide what we're going to do and then ask God to endorse it. It's our task to ask God what the future holds, to ask God where he would have us go and to follow his leading. So one of the ways we know that we're empowered by prayer is when we are seeking God's direction for every future ministry activity. Secondarily, it's asking for God's power in present guidance. I love Proverbs 16, verse 19. Are you familiar with this text? It says, the man, or the Lord, man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Or in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Well, actually, turn there in your Bibles. Turn to the left in your Bibles to Proverbs, to the book of Proverbs. I love this text. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And as I read this, I want you to ask yourself, is this how you walk with the Lord personally? Is this how we walk with the Lord as a church? 
Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. How often do we lean on our own understanding? How often do we rely on human wisdom when it comes to seeing things accomplished in the church? How often do we wait on acknowledging God and waiting for Him to straighten out the paths? Or do we just push ahead? I don't know about you, but this is a constant exercise in dependence in my life. And I believe this is a constant exercise in dependence for our church. If our instinct is instantly to move ahead because we think we have the answer to a problem, we're probably not empowered by prayer. Something to consider for you. And then lastly, we want to be recognizing that as we ask for God's direction in the future and as we depend on him for guidance in the moment, we also have to pray that he would supply the fruit after we have done the ministry. I love Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards the walls, we keep watch in vain. You realize what that is saying? That's saying that we could pour every ounce of energy we have into an activity, but unless God endorses it, it will be worthless. Remember in John when we talked about Christ said, abide in me, for apart from me you can do nothing. After we have engaged in a ministry activity, do we pray that God would produce fruit? Think of Paul's words at the beginning of 1 Corinthians when he says, I watered or I planted, Apollos watered. Who supplied the growth? God, how often after you've engaged in a ministry activity do you pray that God would yield fruit from it? Or do you rely that you've done enough to see something come out of it? Our desire as elders, our goal is to become a church that is intentionally empowered by prayer, asking that God would give us direction for the future, that he would guide us in the moment, and that he would produce fruit. Because we can't do any of those things in our own strength. So what does this look like practically? What are some practical steps we can take to pursue this idea of being empowered by prayer? Well, one of the things that may be most obvious is if you're not entirely sure what your prayer life should look like, if you're not sure how to pursue this idea, we have a class starting next week in the fellowship hall that's going to focus on prayer. It's going to deal with what does it look like to pray. It's going to deal with why do we not pray? What are the obstacles? What are the things that get in our way? I'd encourage you to come to that. I'd also mention that there are a number of different prayer meetings that go on over the course of the week. I've been so encouraged by the number of prayer requests this body has been submitting. Every morning, or every Monday morning at 9 o'clock, the pastors get together and we pray for every item that you submit on Sundays. Keep those coming. We enjoy getting the chance to pray for you. Also, we have a prayer for our service that takes place at 8.30 every morning before the church service on Sunday mornings. There are other prayer meetings that take place over the course of the week. Stop by the table that's going to be over here that's going to focus on prayer. I'd be happy to fill you in on those. And also, many of the ministries are engaged in prayer as well. If you're engaged in a ministry like the FIT team, that I know prays every morning before you all arrive, I'd encourage you to participate in that. And then lastly, and maybe most practically, we just handed out a prayer guide. Don't let it sit on your coffee table unused. If you grab one of those on the way out, I'd really encourage you to find time, to schedule time, to make an intentional effort to pray for the persecuted church around the world. Whether or not we pray comes down to whether or not we believe that prayer has an impact. Do you realize that you have to be empowered for ministry by prayer? Or do you seek to engage in that activity by yourself? We want to seek to become this as a church. We want to be dedicated and empowered by 
prayer. But secondarily, we recognize that if we are empowered by prayer, that's also going to have an impact on our worship. So in addition, we want to be motivated by worship. We want to be a church that can be defined as being motivated by worship where Christ is exalted in every activity and action that we take place. You think that's the case? You think Christ's glory and Christ's name is at the forefront of our minds every time we engage in an activity here at Faith Bible Church? I know for my own sake, I sometimes get so busy doing ministry that I forget who it's really about. We believe that we will be motivated by worship when Christ is intentionally exalted in our gatherings, in our groups, in our homes, in our hearts. Again, I've got these texts up on the screen. I almost have these texts up on the screen. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Nick. He's doing a great job back there, really is. He's wearing a lot of hats. I'd encourage you to read some of those texts here in your time this afternoon. Romans 12 talks about what spiritual worship is, what it means to offer our lives up as living sacrifices. First Peter, it's interesting, we, we don't think so much about worship in our groups, in our smaller ministry activities, but First Peter actually, again, let's just turn there, First Peter chapter 4. First Peter is near the end of the Bible. First Peter chapter 4 is a fascinating text. This First Peter 4 is talking about spiritual gifts. It's talking about the gifts that God has given his church to equip and disciple them. We don't tend to think about worship in this environment, but let me read that text. The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. His point is the motivation for exercising your spiritual gift and your ministry in the church ought to be God's glory. Do you think about every small activity and action you take in your small group or in a ministry activity being fundamentally about God's glory? His desire there is to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. There is no small ministry activity in the church if it's done for God's glory. We talked about Joshua 24 and having God or Christ exalted in our homes Right? Choose this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You can't dictate whether or not your kids have faith in Christ. You can't make them believers. But is your home defined by an exaltation of Christ? If an unbeliever were to walk through your door, would it be clear that this home exists to serve Christ? And then I love this text about our hearts. Again, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I know I'm jumping all over the place, but I can't help myself. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. I, I love, love this text. Someday I hope that after studied 1 Corinthians that we will get to 2 Corinthians. I really hope to the follow-up letter to our study in 1 Corinthians. Paul has so much to say to that church that was so broken in 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord, 
are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You realize what he's saying? He's saying that as we behold the glory of God, we are conformed to God's image. We become more like Christ as we worship Christ for who he is. As we are more and more amazed by the person and work of Jesus Christ, as we behold the glory of the Lord, that actually changes us. We become what we behold. The goal of our church ought to be a church that is intentionally motivated by worship. And we believe that will be the case when Christ is exalted in our gatherings, in our groups, in our homes, and chiefly in our hearts. Is Christ exalted in those four arenas at Faith Bible Church? What are some practical steps we can take to pursue that? Let me initially just say that your attendance here is the first step. I cannot tell you how encouraged my heart was simply by hearing this congregation sing this morning. It is a staggering thing to hear God's people declare his praises in song on a Sunday morning. That humbles me. I'd also encourage you to do whatever you can to prepare yourself for that time with God's people. If you want some more tools to do that, you can stop by the worship table over here in the fellowship hall afterwards. We've got some resources that might be helpful to you when it comes to preparing your heart for worship. Kids, for those of you that are here, I know sometimes it feels like you don't belong, right? As if this is grown-up church, this is only for the adults, but that is not the case. We are called as one body to declare the worth of God. That's part of the reason we have those children's resources at the information desk. We can grab a resource where you can take notes because if I'm not preaching in such a way that it's relevant to you as kids, I'm the one messing it up. The Word of God is relevant to all of God's people. So I encourage you to grab one of those resources. Take notes. If you have questions, come and ask me. I would love to talk to you about what that means in your third grade class. And then lastly, I'd encourage you to foster this personal devotion for Christ. Last week, we talked about abiding with Christ. What does it mean to abide in Christ? I had somebody come up to me afterwards and say, that's a great thing to do. How do we do that? That's a really good question. If you're not entirely sure what that means, I'd encourage you to approach one of the elders or approach an older believer in the church who you see their walk and you say, this person knows Christ. Ask them what their time with Christ looks like. Ask them what their personal devotion looks like. Ask them how they pray and how they read and what that looks like. I'm sure they'd be happy to share with you. We're never going to ultimately be a church that's focused on worship until we're devoted to Christ in our personal times with him. We have to be a church that's empowered by worship, or not empowered by worship, excuse me, motivated by worship. And that Christ-centered focus should also empower our discipleship which leads us to our third priority. In addition to being empowered by prayer and being motivated by worship, we want to be a church that's dedicated to discipleship. Dedicated to discipleship. Now, this is a word we throw around a lot in the church. I recognize that. Discipleship is this generic concept. We've already talked about these practical things that we can engage in to help encourage and build each other up. So in some practical ways, let me explain. We believe that we will be faithful in this area when we intentionally have discipleship that is first and foremost family integrated. Now, I realize this gets a little bit tricky to understand what we're talking about, but in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a fascinating text. If you're familiar with that text, Deuteronomy 6 starts out with the Shema. 
It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He issues to the nation of Israel, to the congregation of Israel, to love the Lord with all their strength. And then he goes on to say, and this is how you teach it to your children. This is how you teach it to those that are in your household. We talked about the priority of families discipling their kids, of families raising kids in the knowledge and fear of the Lord when we were in Joshua. But we want to see that become part of who we are as a church. We want to see families integrated into everything we do at Faith Bible Church. Why? Because that's what we believe the Word of God teaches. That we don't delegate the responsibility of discipling our kids to a church ministry or activity. Doesn't mean that church ministries or activities are bad things. Just means we want to be a church that integrates fully everybody in the family. And from that, we get this idea of being family-shaped. It's fascinating in 1 Timothy. Let me turn to that text, 1 Timothy in the New Testament. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, is really, really interesting what Paul writes to his protege, Timothy. In 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, You treat the church like a family. He says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. Fascinating, because when he refers to the church, he talks about the church as this surrogate family. That even if you don't have family members, literal family members in our church, you don't have a mother or father, you don't have children, you don't have sisters and brothers, he's saying you do. You may not have physical children, but in the church you have children. You may not have brothers and sisters, but in the church you have brothers and sisters. You may not have a parent still alive, but in the church you have surrogate parents. And the church ought to be family-shaped. And it ought to be church-enabled. Ephesians 4 talks about how the believers are, are the leaders of a church are there to equip the saints for the work of ministry, not to do the ministry, but to enable the ministry. We've talked on that text before, so I'm not going to belabor the point. And lastly, our discipleship should be multiplication-minded. When we disciple someone, our goal should be to see them become a disciple-maker, someone who then replicates that in another person's life. In 2 Timothy 2, 2, Paul writing to Timothy talks about entrusting to faithful men who will then go on and entrust it to others also. So our discipleship should be family-integrated, family-shaped, church-enabled, and multiplication-minded. Our goal is to become a church that is intentionally dedicated to discipleship, to seeing people raised up, matured, and equipped for God's glory. That's what we want to be about as a church. As I mentioned, some practical steps in the second hour, we've got this bagel and coffee time. It is not a bagel and coffee time because we all love bagels and coffee. Some of us love bagels and coffee. I, re I realize that. In fact, somebody leave a cinnamon bagel for Pastor Mike. He didn't get one last time, and he's very upset about it. <laughs> but we don't have that time just to enjoy coffee. You could get a bagel and coffee somewhere else. The reason we set time aside for that is because there is someone you need to meet. There is someone that you need to encourage. There is someone who needs to encourage you. Fellowship isn't this nice kind of additive to the church. It's essential to who we are. I encourage you to stick around. Meet somebody you don't know because we need each other in the church. I also mention, want to mention again some of those upcoming groups we've got. You can get more information, men, at the tables about how do I lead in my home and love my wife. We also have a resource over here that's basically on how do I catechize, how do I train my children to know the Lord. I encourage you to grab one of those on your way out as well. So we mentioned 
We want to be about discipleship. We want to be dedicated to this idea because this is how God furthers his mission in the church. And then last week we mentioned how if prayer is there and worship is there and discipleship is taking place, then unbelievers are going to take notice. So lastly and finally, we want to be a church that is intent on multiplication. We want to be a church that seeks to multiply intentionally. That means individually, that means as groups, and that means as a church as a whole. We don't want to be content to just stay in our happy, holy huddle. Because there's a world that's lost that needs to know the gospel. What does that mean? What does it mean to multiply? Well, first, it means that our gospel proclamation is both public and private. It means that we proclaim the gospel publicly when we gather, but we also declare the gospel privately when we're in our jobs and schools and places. There's a tendency to think that as a church participant, my job is to invite people to church so that Brad will proclaim the gospel to them. And I pray that that is always true, that I will proclaim the gospel to them. That's not the end of it. We are called to privately declare the gospel just as much as we're called to publicly declare the gospel. I would also argue that it is true when our target is both local and global. Acts 1.8 is a fascinating text. At the beginning of the book of Acts, which then sees this take place, we see Christ say that you will be my disciples in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Christ's mission for his church is to see people one for Christ around them, then regionally, then globally. There's these expanding spheres of influence. So we believe our target ought to be both local and global. We ought to care about the churches locally trying to reach unbelievers in our backyards. We ought to care for the churches regionally in our state and in our nation. And we ought to pray that God would multiply disciples around the world. And we have to participate in that. We'll have more information on what that means in coming weeks. But lastly, one of the things that I think is kind of unique to Faith Bible Church is we believe that one of the best ways to go about that is raising up local churches and sending out indigenous shepherds. In order to plant faithful churches, churches have to be formed and you have to raise up leaders. And in 1 Peter 5, we talk about the relationship between elders and the church. I love how the missions philosophy talks about focusing on these indigenous people groups and these indigenous shepherds. I think that's really helpful. If you have more questions about that, I encourage you to ask during the fellowship time second hour. But our goal is to become a church that looks like this. That in everything we do, we are thinking, how does this multiply to reach more people? How can we multiply our discipleship? How can we multiply our groups? How can we multiply our church? Recognizing that at times that's going to be really hard but it's the nature of what we've been called to as a church. Our goal is to become a church that is self-consciously intent on multiplication, not just accidentally, not just when it happens to happen, but intentionally working to that aim. We've talked about, I could talk about with how that means personal evangelism. We've belabored that point in the past. I also want to mention that this one has probably the potential to impact our budget the most over the coming years as we seek to see more ministry done out there, it's going to have an effect on the way our budget is spent and about the things we can do here. But our desire is to become focused on multiplication. To be intent on multiplying because we believe that's what Christ has called his church to be. We exist because there's people around the world that do not know him. 
That's sacrificial and that's going to be difficult, but we believe it's what our church is called to do. Hopefully these are clear and we'll come back to them again and again in the coming months. We're going to try to focus on what they mean, on some practical steps to pursue them. And again, we'll have some elders over here that can help explain a little bit more about each of these four. I'd encourage you to come and ask questions. Ultimately, Christ alone knows the intent of every human heart. He knows the final evaluation of every ministry and every church. It is simply our goal and our desire to be faithful, to follow where he has led, to do what he is calling us to do, to focus on what he has called us to focus on. We believe that as we aspire to declare God's worth, to call people to salvation, to see them conform to the image of Christ, that this is what we're being called to focus on. To aspire to be a church that's empowered by prayer, that's motivated by worship, that's dedicated to discipleship, and is intent on multiplication. That's what we believe God is calling us to be. And it is our honest hope and prayer that in the coming years, God will work on both each of us individually and this church collectively so that these things could be true of us. So that a decade from now, people would look at Faith Bible Church and say, that is a praying church. That is the church that's always seeking to multiply. That is a church that is so focused on discipleship and raising people up for the ministry. And that is a church that is so avidly affectionate of Christ that you can't avoid it. That is our desire as a church. If you have any questions, I'd encourage you to join us for coffee and bagels over here, second hour, and ask any of the elders you find for clarity, for follow-up on any of those subjects. I think I've gone way over my time, and we've got a baptism we've got to get to. So would you pray with me? Father, we confess openly that we plan our ways, but you direct our steps. As Proverbs says, it is our honest desire to follow you wherever you lead, whatever the cost, whatever you're calling us to, whatever that means for us, that we would obey, that we would follow, that we would dependently rely on you every step of the way. Father, we don't know what the coming years hold for Faith Bible Church, but we desire to be faithful to what you're calling us to do. We know that even to do that, we need your help. And so we ask that you would continue to guide, that you would continue to lead, that your spirit would be active, that we would faithfully proclaim the gospel in your word and see people one to Christ, see people conform to his image. For your glory, in Christ's name, amen.